we are uh, in a series, week three, that we're going to wrap up this week, um, this next week of Vision Sunday, as, as Pastor Sarah mentioned. I just want to impress upon you again, I know I said this last week, please make every effort to be here next week. It's not just like, oh, it's so encouraging to be all together, but it is that. And I love that. And that's really, really important. So I don't want to minimize that. But there's also some things that we're going to be sharing um, that I think are really, really important. And I'd love for everyone to be in the room uh, that we can uh, kind of talk about some of this stuff together uh, that we're going to be starting. So I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. When am I not excited, though? Anyone remember their first car? Yeah, what do we have, what do we have for first cars in the room? Honda Accord. Lincoln Continental. Praise God for that. What else we got? Shout it out. Honda Civic. Mustang. Anyone got like a like a like a weird one? Like a vent like a GMC what? Jimmy. GMC Jimmy. Volkswagen. I had a Jetta. Dodge Dart. Is that Gabby? Yeah, Dodge Dart. Um I had, a, I had a Volkswagen Jetta. My uncle Tommy had it, and uh, I'm not. It was. It was. He had some money, and he. Uh, I think he was just really excited that his first nephew. He didn't have any kids of his own. Uh, was was about the driving age, and so I don't know what the back the the deal was with my parents, like what they worked out. But he drove this thing up uh, from Long Island and gave me this 1984 Volkswagen. This is an old car, even for me. I'm not that old. Um, Volkswagen Jetta, and it was the Wolfsburg edition. Someone wooted, do you really know what that? I didn't know what that was. It's like, it was like a, you know, when it came out, it probably was like the nicest Jetta that they had. And I just remember it had a computer in it. And that was like a big deal. It was where you would, you know, maybe in some cars, like spray the windshield wiper fluid, and you'd push the button. Uh, and then what would happen, though, there was this tiny little screen on the dashboard and it would change from like whatever was uh, and how many miles you had traveled, the odometer, to then it would like tell you the temperature that was outside. <laughs> and then, there was one other function. It was, <laughs> but it was like, there's like three things, but they were like that. They were like basic functions of a watch now, you know, like this is what the temperature is outside and this is like how fast you're going in kilometers or something like, like we're, or in uh, whatever. And so it was just really, really, really funny looking back at like that first car and how much though I, I just loved it. I would show people that computer. It had a sunroof. Yeah, I was, I was doing all right with the ladies that year. I had, I had, I had the sunroof and uh, you, you know, crank that thing back, you know, automatic sunroofs, you know. Oh my gosh, it felt so good. And then a Jetta just kind of, I don't know, felt really good to me. It pulled to the beach. So I'm in a parking lot one time, and um, I don't know if you remember, I mean, remember, these things still exist. When they're trying to block something, let's say there's like some sort of, um, maybe it's just a tree, maybe there's some odd curb, maybe there's some like unit, some sort of like, uh, yeah, some, some kind of air conditioning unit. I don't know why that would be in the middle of a parking lot, but some sort of unit. Uh, and they'll put these metal or these big, concrete pillars around, go about this high, you know what I'm talking about? And they just, they're just blocking something. So God forbid a car does move in that direction. They, they don't want you to hit the thing. So you're just going to crash your car on one of these concrete pillars. Anyway, 
I uh, have have had in the past, I'd like to think I'd, I've gotten past this and moved past this, uh, and my wife is not in the service this morning, I don't believe, so she can not invalidate this. Oh, she is in the service. Okay, that's great. Hi, honey, wherever you are. I, uh, I've been known to not be the most attentive driver in the past. I'm so much better now. And I was driving through the parking lot, and I was leaving, and I remember I had, like, gone to like Cumberland Farms or something like that, and I'm driving out. And I was, like, kind of looking out the window and was listening to music, and that's my biggest, like, point of distraction. Uh, when I'm in the car, and the music is always blasting, and I'm always in a music video or on stage in my mind. Anyone else like this? Like, the music comes on, and you're like, you are whoever, Taylor Swift, and they're like, yeah, like, you, you've... You've embodied that, whatever that thing is, and you are in your own world. Anyway, all of a sudden, I don't remember what the song is I put on. It probably was something really heavy at the time. I was 16, so I'm just like some sort of rage against the machine something, and I'm like rocking out, and then all of a sudden, I hit the concrete pillar. This is a, just a, a, a very visible, in a very empty parking lot, giant stone pillar. Needless to say, there was no one to blame. I had just gotten this car. It was still drivable. I just like knocked the right headlight like in four feet or whatever, <laughs> not four inches. And, uh, and I had to drive home and I had to tell my mom. And I have a propensity uh, in the past for massaging the truth, or in this case, just making up a lie about a Winnebago having like, I like, they were coming around the corner and they pushed the thing off. I don't even remember the lie that I told. It was so convoluted and made no sense. I'm pretty sure my mom and dad just like gave me a, uh, we'll let you pass on this one. You probably just ran into a pole. But there was a story about a Winnebago. That was the story I told. Anyway, from then on, I had crashed three more cars. One time I woke up in an ambulance uh, and I didn't know why. That's why my, uh, I always know when the winter's coming because my middle finger on my right hand just goes ding because I had metal rods in it from crashing the car. I woke up in an ambulance. So I'm pretty sure the reason why I crashed that is I'd gone into the other lane because I was reaching down to like grab a drink from a grocery bag. It's great. <laughs> There's no point to this story. Other than I was thinking about... <laughs> I just didn't mean to out myself that bad as a bad driver. But I realized, looking back at all my first cars, the moment that stands out to me the most about my early driving experiences was the first time I was in the car and mom and dad weren't in it. And I remember that feeling. And you've gone to places, like you're 16, 7th, maybe if you really like were pushed back, you know, 18 years old, you get your license. And all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're having to drive places that you've gone 100 times before on your own. There, and you realize, anyone realize, I don't exactly know how to get there. Or you're just really insecure about getting there. Because there's a big difference between driving as a passenger, not having to make any sorts of decisions, knowing like, oh, basically that road and that road and knowing the site. So places that I'd been a hundred times, like going to school, and I realized, wait, do I go this way or this way to get there? Not having them in the car, not having them even in the driver's seat while I'm learning to drive, puts you in this awkward position where you now have to like make some calls. And for me, for whatever reason, that first time I drove away 
and dad wasn't in the passenger seat. Mom, at that point, we had almost ruined our relationship, so she was not allowed in the car anymore. So <laughs> I'm driving with my dad, I remember the last time, and he's like, all right, going to these, like, in my mind, it's like, good luck, son, you got this. And I, like, drive out of the driveway and start heading to school, and I take a left onto 138, and I just go, I forget if I go this way or this way. Something like this, these first disciples, I have a moment with, if you want to text here, Bibles to John 14. The context here is these first these first followers of Jesus. They've been walking around with Jesus for quite a bit of time now. They're learning about what it means uh, that the kingdom of God, the way of heaven, has like made itself known here on earth. There, there's all of this, this epic expectation about what's about to happen, that God's going to put it all back together right now, and that's actually not what was about to happen. And so the disciples are realizing as Jesus keeps inferring, noting, like pointing out to them that like he is going to leave them. Jesus is going to leave them. So the, really, if there's any context to this passage, it's verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He's telling his followers of Jesus, I'm going to go. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Verse 19, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Legitimate question. I've mentioned this about a hundred times before, but I wrestle as fired up as I get about the mission of God and what it means to be a church and what it means to serve and bless the world and that God would use even us. Sometimes when I look around at other followers of Jesus, when I look inside at my own heart, forget throwing blame at anybody else, I go, really? This is your game plan for helping put the world back together is us. If you believe any part of the Christian story, I'm sure at one point or another you've had that question come up. But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself, like reveal who you are and what you're up to, to us, a bunch of lowly fishermen and ex-zealots, and these are young kids, remember, and not to the world. Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That's not an answer, Jesus. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All of this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, and I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And he ends with that. Do not be afraid. Jesus is giving something to his disciples, and he's giving something to everybody who comes after him. Jesus, why are you leaving? Why aren't you revealing yourself to us? I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, the advocate. We're going to get into this in a minute. So don't let your hearts be troubled. 
I give in a different kind of way. Jesus is giving them something. So what does he have to give? I just want to walk through this passage for a bit. And I want to land us in this place. And if you were to write, like, I don't know, a, 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 a title to this message in your notes today, it would just be, you have all you need. You have all you need. I have no idea what folks are going through today. I don't. I just learned folks that have been really struggling are on like cloud nine this morning. Some folks over here. I, I don't know where everybody is at. But my hope is that you might be able to trust a little bit more this morning that actually, as a follower of Jesus, actually you have what you need. What does Jesus have that he's giving his disciples? This is walk through the passage. You got it pulled up again? Just a reminder, John 14. What does Jesus have? Verse 20. On that day, you will realize, so he's talking about this day of the giving of the Spirit, that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. He has this generous freedom with God, this endless giving and receiving. So somehow he and the Father, this is one of the mysteries of the Christian faith. If you're brand new to the way of Jesus, there's this sense that somehow Jesus is the Christ, is like the Messiah, the divine one, like fully human and fully God. There's some intertwined. We have this understanding similar to like quantum physicists these days. That's at, what's at the base of the universe is like a community of three in oneness. This is what's at the base of, of, of everything. is actually a community of self-giving love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus has union with God, and Jesus has intimacy and connection with the Father with what's most true. So that would be point one. This is what Jesus has. Two, the love of the Father in verse 21. Jesus' life seems to be thoroughly saturated with the love of the Father. If we were going to turn elsewhere and elsewhere in Scripture, what else do we have? We have uh, Jesus teaching, the kinds of things that Jesus teaches. The love of enemy. He has so much love in him that he is inviting people to do what I do and love your enemies. He talks about in Matthew 6, the birds of the air. You are, like, are you not more valuable than the birds of the air? And I take care of the birds of the air. I take care of creation Will you trust that you are more valuable? He's content. He's not wondering if God loves him or take care of him. Jesus does not have a sense of lack. He has no sense of lack. If we go on in that Matthew 6 passage, there's no worry about events in the future. There's not a sense of pride. There's just a confident grounding of I know who I am. God's love grounds him. Jesus has an inner life thoroughly saturated with the love of God. The reason why I, I'm doing this right now, you may be like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Like, I want us to be crystal clear in this passage what Jesus has and what he is giving. It says in the next verse, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, some people, I don't know what you came from, what tradition you came from, whether you have a lot of sort of out there, jacked up ideas, every time you hear the Holy Spirit, you cringe a little bit. Maybe this is the first time you're ever even hearing that phrase before. There's a wide spectrum, I know, in this room of how people relate to the Spirit. Maybe one place to simply start, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything that Jesus taught. 
That's one aspect it says right here of what the Spirit does. The advocate whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. Jesus has been saying a lot of things. He's been teaching them about worry and teaching them about love and teaching them about blessing and teaching them about entrusting themselves to God. Verse 25, Jesus is going to leave them. He's been with them three years. He's been with them three years. And he's saying, look, I, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to send somebody to remind you of everything that, that I've taught you. I'm going to somehow instill my life and give my life over to you. This thing that I have with God will be somehow passed to you. Why? Why? And, and I want to just humbly submit that it may have something to do um, with, uh, with that same feeling that you get when you're allowed to drive on your own. That first time you get into the car. When you're teaching someone how to do something, sometimes your very presence can prevent empowerment. Sometimes your very presence there can actually prevent you from learning. They're going to go learn. If you only let them do a little bit, but every time you get into a, like a jam and every time you get into a struggle and every time you have a doubt and every time you encounter brokenness, you are rescued. Are you really going to learn? And so anybody who runs something, who runs a team, runs a business, even runs a household, if you want to fully empower your people to do what you do, at some point, your presence will prevent their empowerment. And that is what Jesus seems to be after. Remember this verse, you'll do even greater things than I did. He says, truly I tell you, just in case, Generations from now, people are going to try to talk themselves out of that verse. I don't ever try to talk themselves out of that verse. Jesus can't really mean that. It's like that's why Jesus threw in the extra, extra like, truly I tell you. Jesus seems to be after the empowerment of these first followers of Jesus. Jesus starting the revolution, starting the movement, announcing that there is something new that is about to break through in this world amidst all of the brokenness and failure and injustice. He says, I'm going to not just disappear and hope that you remembered everything. I'm going to give you an advocate. So the word here uh, for advocate is the word paraclete. Can you say paraclete? Not parakeet, paraclete. You guys, you guys with me? I know it's kind of rainy. This is the sign for rainy. Para means alongside of. Kaleo is to call. The paraclete defends and comforts and speaks up for and guides. It's the advocate to call and speak alongside of. It's the image of like being in a, in a race and your friend is there with like a cup of water. It's the image of somebody like, just like, it's like the more cowbell. Like someone just banging on the, no. You know what I'm talking about. It's eye of the tiger comes on your, your phone, your, in your earbuds as you're running. And all of a sudden, the eye of the tiger comes on. You know what I'm talking about, that moment. That song, whatever your eye of the tiger is. 
And you're just like, yes, I have this, yes. This is an image of the paraclete. This is an image of the Spirit coming alongside an advocate who will give you my words when I'm not there. Will run, the, the language in the Greek speaks of will walk and crawl beside you. Sometimes parakaleo actually has a maternal aspect to it, like a mother holding her child. You got this alongside comforting and cheering on. I think these images of, of cheering on, of advocating for, of reminding you as you go is so vital as we prepare to launch into what is basically a, a new era of our church. As we continue, as we have from day one to say, we don't want to be a people that go to a movement and go to a people, but become it. As we have pushed further and further this last couple of years, we've seen so many folks in our community that are a bit more nominal, and, and we grieve this, but leave our church because we have pushed so much harder into church is not something you can attend. And so to be a people in the world, to be a community that is loving and blessing and serving, and a community that has an identity in and of itself that knows what it is to practice the way of Jesus and can invite people into itself to the uniqueness of the way of Jesus. To do that, we need an advocate. We need a paraclete. Paraclete the parakeet. That would have been a better name for the sermon. Someone alongside you. You have what you need. You have what you need. You have what you need. Jesus wants his followers to have the same life that he has. And in some way, Jesus says, my voice and my power will go with you. What is Jesus doing in this passage? He is giving his followers his relationship with God. He's giving them his connection. This is what it's like in the Trinity. This is the, the intimacy and the connection and the love. I'm going to send you an advocate alongside you that as you begin to walk in the way of Jesus will empower and encourage you and will comfort you. And without having enough time to get in this, get into this, and if you want to challenge me on this later, I, I'm happy to. I just don't have enough time to do a whole like Bible study on this. But I think part of the reason why some of us struggle with this idea, I'm like, well, that sounds great, but I've prayed before and I don't know if I've received that sort of comfort or I think one big part of this is that it, it actually um, is predicated on you being saved and trusting the gospel. And I mean that in the truest sense, which means continuing to work on making Jesus Lord of your life, King of your life. Like surrendering to his way. Like, God, will you comfort me as I'm doing everything that God ever invited you to not do? God, will you comfort and bless me as your entire life looks literally no different than anyone else's? As I spend money this way, as I treat people this way, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is based on your good works. What I'm saying is to be filled with the Spirit. We have access to God. We don't have to earn access to God, but we can just decide not to really like go to the bank. And we can choose to not go to the fill station 
We can choose to not like enter into the path that God has invited us to, which is where the spirit lies in the mission of the church. Jesus is giving them his relationship and his connection with God. So there might be some serious implications for us in this. What will this do for us and in us? Turn with me to Luke 9, verse 1. Luke 9, verse 1. I believe I have this on the screen. When Jesus had called the 12 together, the 12 are his disciples, his first people who were with him. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Take nothing for the journey. Now he sends them out on multiple journeys. But it's interesting for all the, the, the ways that people debate, like, okay, what exactly is he trying to teach them here and why this? Um, the disciples are, are essentially, almost every time they are sent out, asked to not burden themselves with excess provisions. One tunic's enough. No staff, no bag, no bread. Matthew includes silver and gold in his account. Nothing beyond the basics. The instructions parallel the travel practices basically of one of the most, like, unique sects within Judaism. And it kind of mirrors folks as they go to the temple to meet with God. This is just strip yourself of everything that you really need. And basically what these two pictures do is it's in contrast to, like, the, basically the Greek cynics, the traveling philosophers who would go from town to town to talk about ideas who would collect money. And so he's saying, you guys don't do that. The, all the money collection that happens in the New Testament, why we have a moment of generosity is not just as a spiritual practice, but is like in the New Testament to take care of the saints and to further the mission. And he goes, when you go out as individuals proclaiming the good news of God's love to the world around you, go, go, don't let anyone think that you're doing this. You're putting on some kind of religious show. Like do it in the most blameless way possible. In other words, care what people think about you to a degree. Paul has similar instructions. This is why I always love when my fundamentalist Christian brothers and sisters are like, we shouldn't care what the world thinks. It's like an invitation to be as nasty and bigoted as everybody else. I don't get it. Like care, because you're carrying a message and you don't want to mess that up. The disciples then are to stay in one place, to not move around within a village, right? Whatever house, stay at that house. Don't try to move around. Live as locals do and live with them. Basically, the point of these instructions is that the disciples were to confidently trust God for whatever was needed to proclaim the good news. The disciples are called to depend on God for provision and for money and for food. There is an urgency to these instructions and to this mission. Just go and trust, travel light, and depend on on the provisions of God. Depend on Jesus. Trust him alone who sends you. Jesus, by telling them what not to pick up and take with them, he is essentially telling them what they really need. By saying, don't pick that up, don't pick that up, don't take an extra one of those, he is indicating what you actually should pick up as you go. 
Lest you think this has nothing to do with you. What are the things, as you go about making sense of this life that God's given you and these purposes that God's given you, this creativity that God's given you, this insight into the world, whatever your set of baggage and brokenness is, because we all know God loves to use that stuff, right? What are you picking up that you don't need to? What are you taking with you on the journey that actually is getting in the way of the life of the ages, of the beautiful, abundant life that God has for you? Now, what are you taking with you that you don't need to? This isn't just some blanket call, by the way, just to poverty. It's are you dependent? Are you really being dependent? What does it truly mean to be dependent on God? This is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray for what you need today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. There's always a tension in the heart of the follower of Jesus. Is What does it mean to plan well and be wise and to take just a little bit that you have with you, right? Because we're pilgrims and pilgrims travel light. Pilgrims travel light because we have this great inheritance in heaven just around the corner so we don't get all caught up in treasures now. We're not bothered with that nonsense now. Anyone else kind of get bothered with that nonsense now? Anyone else hearing this and you're like, yeah, okay, I can't do that. I've been struggling with this. We're moving into a new home and it's cost me so much time and energy and like my, the mental load and money. And I have multiple moments sometimes where I just sort of have a freak out and I'm like, this, none of this is right. I could have been spending my entire Saturday like caring for the poor. We could have been spending all this money. Doing, like anyone have those moments where you're like, what am I doing? Why am I spending so much time? Why am I so anxious? Why am I yelling at my five-year-old, which has, has everything to do with the stress that I'm feeling at the house? Why am I taxing my friends to come over and help paint a wall? Why does that even matter? None None of this matters. Anyone go down this rabbit hole ever? Anyone? I just need to feel less alone. Some folks are really good at just blocking it out. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a tough thing to, to say. I wonder, I'll say that. I wonder if that line of thinking should kind of always be around the corner. Not the stress and anxiety part. Like the tension should always be there. The question should always be there. This isn't about like the amount of money you have. This is about focus on the mission. And do we realize that we have everything we need? And sometimes the things that we think we need to pick up, the things that we think we need aren't those things. I need an extra tunic. I need the bag. I need the staff. What are those things for you? What are you picking up? Maybe it's not even material possessions. It's like this same line of thinking and the same script you go to time and time again. Whatever you pick up dictates what you lay down. Whatever you pick up dictates what you lay down. Whatever you pick up dictates what you lay down. 
Followers of Jesus have the spirit, the helper, the life of Jesus with them. You have it. Do you want to take it and pick it up? You have freedom from worry. Do you want to take it and, ha- and, and pick it up? Do you want to take it? You have the power to love your enemies. Do you want to take it? You have the capacity to care about the right things, not the wrong. Do you want to pick it up and take it? Do you want to know the life of heaven? Do you I'll pick it up and take it? We know this to be true in general, by the way. That's like the moment in my sermon where I go on some big gospel rant and I just start yelling. And in every, any other church, everyone would start clapping and screaming at me. I like that you guys just keep it, keep it chill. But I want to pause because we know this implicitly. If you're here, again, you're kind of like a, you're, you're a bit of a skeptic. You're like, oh, this is interesting or whatever. Uh, I've talked about this book before, Essentialism. Anyone ever read the book Essentialism? Phenomenal book. The whole point of this book is like essentially, <laughs> it's like what is most essential and strip everything back. Do you have a don't do list? Do you have a list? These are the things I won't. Everyone has a to-do list. Do you have a I won't do list? Because you care about thriving in your career, thriving in your family, making money, being happy, being healthy. Do you have a I won't list? Which is a really good practice. This is kind of what I'm getting at. And I point out that book because we understand this. This is like basic to human flourishing. Smarter people than I, the life coaches of the world, the authors that spur on like great innovation, they know You have to actually get really ruthless with your life and schedule. What am I not going to do because I want to do this? I think there's something in this little story, if you'd allow me a little flexibility with it, where Jesus is going, hey, guys, as you go out, don't take this, don't take this, don't take this, don't take this. It's not a forever thing. There are other passages where he invites them to take things. What I think he's trying to do is, hey, what you need is me. What you need is me. And we see this reflected all over the stories of the early church. Go, don't take a lot with you. Travel light, baby. Travel light. Don't. There's some things to not pick up. And that has everything to do with trusting the helper. Trusting the advocate. Trusting the one who will remind you of the things that Jesus taught. This is why people fast, by the way, in part. I got I to gotta remind myself to let that thing go that I don't need it, that God is all I need. I'm going to be somebody who is, who is conditioning my life, especially as Westerners. Many of us have more than we will ever need right now. Yes, even you, student, with all your debt. Are we, are, are, are we a person who is regularly inviting ourselves to practice letting go. Whatever you pick up dictates what you lay down. You have what you need. Do you want to take it? You have what you need. Do you want to take it? The Spirit empowers and equips and gives you what you need. And then the church has a role in this too. The church has a role in helping to equip and give you what you need for the journey. Jesus empowers his people to do this. The word that's used in scripture, this word equip, 
uh, cartismos, cartismos describes elsewhere like a doctor setting a broken bone or a general preparing his army for battle or a fisherman mending his net. I love those images. Mending the net for the fishermen who are about to go out and fish. Setting a broken bone, preparing the army for battle. This is what God is doing. Preparing his people and encouraging his people. But I think that we think that if I just sort of sit back, it will happen by osmosis. When Jesus is inviting us to step in, I find that as often folks who are out on the quote-unquote mission field in some like war-torn area, it's folks that have thrown their life into something radical. We all go, wow, what an incredible life. I think those are the ones that end up experiencing in so many ways the power of the Spirit more than anyone else. And it's communities like ours that actually say, yeah, we're going to be the church and ask those tough questions about what it means to embody the way of love and life as we go in new and profound ways and live differently in the world. You begin to experience the power of the Spirit, the impartation of His strength and beauty so much more when we begin to step out. The Spirit empowers and reminds and equips and then uses others to do that. The goal then is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to trust that he is faithful. And so I want to leave you with this. We cannot be consistently led or empowered by the Spirit if we are not continually conscious of our need to be refilled with him. Can I say that again? We cannot be consistently led. Anyone want to be consistently led by the God of the universe? Even if you have some doubts about God being there. Wouldn't that be cool? Anybody? Can I get an amen on that? Even like the skeptics should be like, oh, yeah, if God's up there, I'd like to be led by him. Amen. There's no one in this room that shouldn't say amen. Or empowered by the Holy Spirit. I would like to be powered. Like the keto diet's doing okay. The gym's doing all right. I'm running a little bit more. I'm getting, like, I'm getting better sleep. But like empowered by the God of the universe somehow, that would be nice. We cannot be consistently led or empowered by the Spirit if we are not continually conscious of our need to be refilled by Him. Am I aware that I even need God? It's people in relationships where they never really open up and are never really honest and are never really intimate with their loved one. They're together. They have full access to that, but they do not engage because they really don't need it. And they've figured out how to live two parallel lives that go side by side and never really intertwine their marriage. We know this feeling. To be in a group of friends where you're the only one who's really like trying to pour yourself out and open yourself up and there's nothing reciprocated. The access is all there. If we're not aware that I actually need God, and if we're not putting ourselves into positions where we actually do need to lean on God and we have everything we need, it's why one of the reasons why Jesus said it's going to be really tough for people who are rich who've got it all together, who've got everything they need to enter the kingdom of God. It's going to be hard for them to see it. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, singing and making melody to the Lord of your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
being filled with the Spirit means trusting the helper, trusting the paraclete, submitting to the control of God in your life, allowing him to be the helper moment by moment by moment. Being filled with the Spirit is not having more like quantity of God, but God having more of you. God having more of you and the Holy Spirit. Like what, what, what the Spirit requires to move is so simple. Just making Jesus Lord of your life and trusting that he is faithful. Trusting that he is faithful. Trusting that you have actually what you need. Trusting that you have what you need. It's about surrender ultimately. Lest you think this is like a thing that pastors don't struggle with. I mentioned my house before. I want to end with this. I, uh, I, like anybody else in this room, get stuck sometimes. Where I, 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 I just, like, why am I not praying right now? I mean, this last week, I'm like, I'm going to get up and talk about some of this stuff to my friends at Sanctuary. And here I am spinning out. I don't want to exaggerate. <laughs> like pretty, pretty, like just internally, like jacked up. And the advice that I would give anyone else is, hey, stop what you're doing. Go and pray. Stop what you're doing. Go and seek the Lord. Just, just stop. It's not that important. Take a deep breath. You say you value this. If the Spirit's there, if I have what I need. And there are far bigger situations going on in many of your lives than me and me trying to like get this house ready and dealing with difficult contractors. <laughs> there are real issues in this room. And then there's just folks that are actually doing great. And that's almost the, the, the most difficult moment to say, oh God, I, I trust you to be faithful and to empower me and lead me into like new waters to take what's here, this good thing, and like pour gas on it. I mean, ultimately, it's like almost every sermon you ever teach can just come back to this. William Booth says the real like strength of a man, the real strength and power of a person is measured in their ability to surrender, to let go, to trust. I don't need to take this. I don't need to take this on the journey. I don't need to take this. I don't need to be so preoccupied with this. What I need, Lord, is you. is to trust that you're faithful to the end. I need that you're, you're, you're faithful. You're, you're going to you come through. I can go out with nothing. I can, be, I can step in to this incredible mission of the church, being an outpost of justice and love and forgiveness in the world because I've been forgiven of my sins and empowered by the Spirit to go. I have what I need. I have what I need. So what do you need to not stop picking up? What, as you go, because we can't stop going, really. So we continue to move about our life. Where do we need to slow? Where do we need to be aware of the things that we're carrying with us on the journey that we need to let go of and trust that he will provide? Will you say with me, give us this day our daily bread? Give us this day our daily bread. Will you say with me one more time? 
Give us this day our daily bread. Let's not look at our life. Let's just look at today, Sunday. What does it mean to receive the daily bread and trust him for that today? All right, could we try that? Let's take a moment. If you want to need to write, if you need to pray, if you need to just do whatever you need to do in this moment as the band just kind of sings this prayer over us and we close.